we'll pray and look at what our brother Paul gives us by the power of the Spirit of the living God. Father, that we would see your hand work in a way that we can smile and see the glory of the eternal God. Father, as we look at this text, we understand that we are just baked dirt. Father, may, uh, may that remove any pride that we think we may be due. And Father, may we look at this as an amazing event in the Christian life. And Father, may we, who are called by your name, walk in a manner worthy. And may we focus upon your glory, your holiness and your righteousness. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 15. But we have this treasure and earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. I have had a passion to teach this letter for years. I can actually say for decades. And the reason is, this letter is ministry. If you are saved today, then you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You have been bought and paid for with a price. You have a new ruler in your life, a new master, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I have seen in Christendom uh, is, is at, at, at very best troubling. Because most people either are striving to be qualified to minister or they minister when they feel like it. Both of them, to quote the Old Testament, are blasphemous. That is not the way this works. It is not your idea. Paul has already dealt with this text when he started out in chapter 3, verse 6. Who has made us adequate? God did. When did he do that? The moment of your salvation. You have become adequate. Because it isn't the container that we worry about. It is the precious treasure that is inside of the container. All right. Now, when I moved into this letter, I understood it. I've read this letter. I read it every day and have been now for some time. And there is so much in this letter that moves back and forth and back and forth that it will wear you out. But there's a text in here that I believe that you and I should at least start with today. Because when I read this 
this letter, and in, in your outline you see seven points. And these seven points are what it takes to be of true spiritual usefulness. All right? But the text that I want you to think about real quick is the conclusion of this letter in chapter 13, verse 5. 13, verse 5. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. I have a little devotional book that I read on every day. And over the last couple of days, he's been teaching. It's a, just a daily time. It's teaching on the parable of the ten virgins and the oil. Okay, if you look at that context, and there's all kinds of things that you can say about it, but if you look at that, you see ten who are waiting on the bridegroom, but it's obvious they don't know when he's going to arrive. Okay? And some are real. Some ain't. And yet, they're all anticipating the same. All right? When I think about the body of Christ today, 2011. I look at it and I say, we've got too many that don't have enough oil. They can't light their candles. Why? Because I look at their service unto the Lord. And it's like the whole letter to James that James writes. You know what? I will show you by faith, by my works. Look at my life. Look at my life. And, and I, I, we miss this. I know we miss this. I have seen us miss this. The Lord is pleased to choose the humblest, lowliest, weakest vessels to be his servants. And, and you and I don't understand that. We, we look for stars. Do we not? Think about it. And you know what? Some of these men are just amazing men. I have had the privilege of being around some of the most powerful preachers that has ever walked this planet. And you know what they all have in common? They're the humblest guys that I ever met. You sit and talk to them. Now, when they're at the pulpit, they're preaching with power. They're preaching with conviction. They are in the fullness of the Spirit of God. But you set them down and talk to them. And they're not even interested in what they just done. They want to know about you. How is your ministry doing? How long? What did you get out of this text when you read it? And it's so amazing to sit and talk to these people. Take you back. A few years, I guess it's been, hasn't it? First Corinthians chapter one. Where's the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. For indeed... The Jews asked for signs 
The Greeks searched for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, nor not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. Why? That's the way God does it. That's the way God does it. There's a text that we missed, and I'll just read this to you. It comes out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 25. Verse 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, okay, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intellectual. And hey, you have revealed them to infants. Okay? And you know what's amazing about that verse? He's given a parable and the wise, the Bible scholars didn't understand what he was saying. And he says, but you have made it known to the infants. Do you know why? Fascinating phrase and we miss it all the time. Verse 26. Yes, father, for this way was well pleasing in your sight. You know why he did it? It pleased him. It pleased him. This profound truth, Paul tells us back in Corinthians, in clay pots. Baked dirt. Baked dirt. It's amazing. Why? Because it pleased him. That's the contrast of this passage. This treasure, and yet this container. Listen, I have been in the ministry for long enough to know that many will attack the container. And over time, they want to try to replace the container. They want to discredit the container. They want to try to break the container. Uh, I remember a man one time in this congregation years ago came to me one time, was very angry with what he believed I was teaching, and he told me he would outweigh me. He ain't here no more. <laughs> so, like I said, got nowhere to go. <laughs> so, whatever. Because when I think about it, I look at the Apostle Paul, and Paul says, I'm not impressive in my appearance. There ain't anything there that you'd say, wow, look at that guy. Paul says, I'm not even a good speaker. I'm plain, I'm homely. I'm common. I'm weak. I am unimpressive. Not charming. My wife would say amen. And she would agree that I'm not clever. She says amen. How is it possible to win the masses with no human wisdom and all you're going to do is Jesus is Lord? 
plain, simple, and direct. That's what Paul did. And he wasn't much to look at. And yet I, I think about the Apostle Paul when he was condemned for his appearance. He was condemned for the way he would speak in dangling participles. If you take, I remember years ago I was studying the book of Galatians. And there's a world record run on sentence in the book of Galatians. It's almost two chapters, one sentence. Okay. Normally we call that a paragraph. But there's no breakup in it. It's just one. Uh, I think he was angry when he wrote it. So I always look at Galatians. Galatians and Romans are the same, except Galatians, he's mad. Okay? I mean, when you're mad, you don't usually elongate your explanation. You just, right there. Okay? Romans, he's talking to him. I'm going to try to come up and hang out with you. We can bear fruit together. It'll be a good time. Galatians, who's bewitched you? And that's why you get these run-on sentences. If you've ever been in a situation where people are angry, they will have a sentence that just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And you're like, all right, I got it. How would anybody respond to this man who had some kind of eye problem, had scars from being stoned and left for dead, and had nothing that would attract anybody to him? That's probably the reason that not many would respond. That's why he was rejected. That's why he was persecuted. That's why he was mocked. That's why he was chased out of town. Look at you, Paul. Why would anybody want to be part of what you're doing? I see that on a regular basis. I hear that on a regular basis. I remember the first message that I ever preached at Castle Rock Baptist Church. First message I ever preached. Okay? I studied nervous. Probably as nervous as I am right now. Just scared to death. Poured my heart out in it. Asked God for mercy and grace and his power. And when I got done, I had people cussing me. And you're like, well, that went well. I should study more. Then it dawned on me. Hmm. Okay, when, when you get done preaching and people shake their finger in your face, you're probably in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul agrees that, you know what? What do you expect from baked dirt? I mean, that's his defense. You make all of these accusations and he says, I agree. <laughs> You're right. I can't speak. I agree. Yeah, I'm probably a little tough on the eyes. Yeah, you're right. What do you expect from a garbage bucket? And that is what a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ is. A clay pot. The treasure is inside. Paul, by my weaknesses, you see the power of God. And Paul says, by that you should see the contrast. How would I ever step into this venue even doing this? 
I would be the world's greatest fool. Oh, did I tell you that God would take the foolish things to confound the wise? Did I tell you that God would take the weak to overthrow the strong? And that's what you and I are. We ain't nothing but clay pots. Many in the body of Christ today are not being used because they think they are valuable. And God says, you ain't valuable. You're baked dirt. Your value is in what's inside. I only have value for what the Lord has me doing. As long as I am doing that, then there is a value in it. As soon as I stop, I'm back to baked dirt. Garbage bucket. See, Paul's defense, I guess, if you wanted to call it a defense in this text, I mean, in 2 Corinthians, the letter is he don't care what he gets called. He points to God. I remember some people made some accusations about me. It's been a number of years ago. And I, at first, I thought it was a joke. Uh, and it was, seemed humorous to me. And then all of a sudden, I could sort of see a group that were kind of building on this thing. And I was like, this has got ugly all over it. And they wanted to confront me. And I said, sure, let's chit-chat. And they threw out their accusations, and they said, this person has accused you, and da-da-da-da, and all this other stuff. And I was like, all right. They said, well, what's your defense? And I said, compare the fruit. Put the fruit of my accuser up. Put my fruit up. Well, you ain't going to deny that it's... Listen, I ain't here to defend myself. Compare the fruit. Well, you got to defend yourself. No, I'm just going to tell you, here's what God has been doing. What's God doing in these other people's lives? Paul says that, you know what? I am not, nor are we, are not the issue. The messenger is not the issue. Basically, that's the heart of this man. And you know what? If I think about this, it is an amazing lesson for believers. You and I are not the issue. I know far better teachers than I can ever be. But you know what? They're not being used. You know why? Because they think they're the issue. You know, I had a guy said, they want you to go to Israel and teach pastors? Yeah. Kind of weird, isn't it? (laughs) It's kind of what I thought. Then it started watching them. They were shooting rockets back into Israel again. I'm like, yeah, right. Perfect. (laughs) What you doing? Running? (laughs) Why? I don't know. I have no idea. I know it ain't the container. I know it isn't all the little letters behind my name because there aren't any. I don't have anything to offer. But if you want to sit down... And reason together from Scripture, I'm in. That's all there is. Okay, because everything else, everybody else can provide somewhere else. If you don't believe me, ask them. To be a follower of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. 
See, his life was patterned after Christ. His characteristics. One, he is humble. Why? Because when I am humble, God is delighted. He opposes the proud. God takes in his delight. God takes in his pleasure. Plain, foolish, common, despised people. Baked dirt clay pots. Society would say they are good for nothing. There's no value to these. They're very common. We, we have a coffee and it comes in these little plastic containers. Okay, and you get done with the coffee. And then I use them to mix paint, hold bolts, uh, change oil filters. I drop old nasty oil filters in them and all the rest of them. And then when I get done with them, I usually just throw them away. That's what we are. It's all we are. And God takes those that society would say are good for nothing. And God says, I'm going to put this unmeasurable treasure inside. And yet even today, we want popular. I remember a number of years ago, a big church up in Denver had uh, Dr. MacArthur come in and do several sermons. And um, I think there might have been a hundred of us went up and heard Okay, and I mean, it was like three nights and you could sit around and ask him questions afterwards and all the rest of it. It was really, it was awesome. Okay, the next week they had Ebb from Green Acres. I just dated myself, didn't I? (laughs) Green Acres, what is Green Acres? Okay, Ebb was up there. And you know what? They had to put it on TVs in nine other buildings because there was that many people to hear a comedian. But he was a Christian comedian. We want popular. And you know what I've noticed? God ignores it and uses the clay pots. The people that you would least expect. When I think about the Apostle Paul and how he was treated, and yet I think about in that same chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. Common containers with an uncommon treasure. That, brothers and sisters, is ministry. It ain't the container. I remember a guy used to, he had these silk suits. And the one is the, the it was kind of a, a dark brown with gold stripes in it. Okay. And I mean, it, oh, it was awesome. It'd probably be three years of my salary to, to get one. But I mean, you just touch it and you're like, dude, <laughs> that's some slicker now, dude. And I mean, it was nice. And he says, well, what? I says, Tell, do me a favor, Rick. If you step into glory, will you will me that suit? Cause it, man, it was it was nice. But then I thought about it. Probably the price tag on that suit, um, I'd be scared to death to wear it because what if I spill something on it, <laughs> or rip it, or or something like that? 
but it, it was slick. And you know what? Was the tragedy was the man was a phenomenal speaker. He was biblically sound, and he completely missed what I was trying to get at. Broke my heart. Because he was trying to attract people to container. This, my, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, is true spiritual usefulness. You have to start right there. This humility thing is going to hammer you until I'm out of this letter. Because it goes over and over and over showing itself and the humility of the Apostle Paul. Why was this little Jewish beat up, eye infested something or other able to go around civilization planting churches that were amazing? Because he understood that it wasn't a container. In our churches today, everybody thinks it's the container. And it's not. Spiritual usefulness is being humble. Seeing self for what we really are. Do we understand what we really are? We're just baked dirt, people. There wasn't anything special that God says, Well, man, they sort of stand out. I think I should save that one. Because you've heard it before. Well, if such and such could get saved, do you realize what an impact it could have? No. Pride goes before the fall. Look at what we do. Look at the scandals that you have seen in sports or in politics and all the rest of it. And it's all based on the same thing. Overwhelming humility. No, it ain't. It is because of who I am and what I do. Guess what? And God exposes it and says, yeah, check this out. And so what do they do? I'm really sorry and I'm getting counseling. Is there an anti-pride counselor? Because that's what it is. Unimpressive, weak, plain, common, non-intellectual, not clever, not even creative. And if I can discredit a person on that basis, Paul says, you know what? You can discredit me and you can say all that thing. And you know what? You're absolutely right. I don't have anything creative. If I hear another pastor pray, well, Lord, may our creativity expand. I hate to break the news to you. Mine ain't. I don't have any creativity. It's it's sort of like if you're a man, you know what this is. Your wife comes in and says, what color do you think we should paint this? White. Why? Because then I can't mess it up. I I remember a guy was going to paint his house rose. His wife will paint it rose. We got done. I don't care what you call it. That's pink. Dude, you're living in a pink house. All right? That's why men say white. Why? And if it's going to be outside, gray. You know, my wife says, you always wear blue jeans. I can't put on the wrong shirt. Did you know that? 
It doesn't matter what I do. I go down to do the invocations for the town of Castle Rock. I wear a pair of blue jeans, a t-shirt, and a sport coat. And everybody thinks, man, that guy's cutting edge. No, this is idiot proof. (laughs) I can't mess this up. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I don't need to be creative. I don't have to be clever. I need to show myself rightly dividing truth. Because it ain't my container. Dude, if you guys are expecting this container to do something, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Paul says, you know what? I'm plain, I'm common, I'm weak, and I'm unimpressive. I'm not intellectual. I'm not clever. I'm not creative. And guess what? You're right. I'm just an old waste bucket. I'm good for nothing, taking out the garbage. But you know what? There's an amazing treasure inside. And Paul accepted that. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6 and following, Even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? Paul says, you know what? I accept your assessment. I'm unimpressive. I'm not an orator. You know, I ain't a debater. I don't have anything clever. I don't have anything creative going on. Sorry, guys. You know what? I have to agree with my accusers. But I know truth. And even if I can't say it very clearly, I still know it. There's so many times that I have preached, I cannot even begin to say when I get done preaching, I, oh, I should have said, or I, oh, I should have brought out, or oh, and it drives you nuts. But you know what? You said exactly what God wanted you to say. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from what? Exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. There is a pastor this week who has stepped into eternity with a big bag of cocaine in his hotel room in New York at a mega church down in Florida. They haven't got a toxicology report. They don't know if he died of cocaine ingestion. But I'm thinking, well, what's he carrying it around for? Let me guess. You just happened to find it and you're going to turn it into the cops in the morning. Uh, What is that? Quit exalting yourself. Or I'll embarrass you. I told you guys several times about this guy. I don't want to mention his name. Uh, I wanted to ask him a question. I was at a conference down in Glorietta, and I was going to ask him a, a question, and he blew me off and was oh, rude to me. I was just going to ask a question, and it was sort of, get out of my way, kid. And I was sort of like, well, all right. Okay. He got up that morning to speak. <laughs> 
He was standing behind it and he read his text. He opened up and stepped out in front. As soon as he stepped out, his shirt tail was sticking out of his zipper. I have no idea what he taught on. It was just like, well, there you go. So I'm always checking my zipper before I get ready to preach. I was like, make a note. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> Cause, and you just sit there because you first steps out, you're like, huh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know what that is. And I kept thinking somebody in the front row would say, hey, check out your zipper or something. But nobody ever did. And I kept thinking, you know what? If you think you're something, God will prove it. <laughs> Paul says, I was kept humble because of what was given to me. Then he learned that his grace was sufficient. See, Paul understood on the basis that he was just an old earthen vessel. He understood that in his weakness is when God's power was the most magnificent. When you are weak... When you can't trust in yourself. The more we get hammered, the weaker we become. The weaker we are, the stronger is God's power in our lives. You know why? There's less of you in the way. It is that simple. The world is full of people too clever, too smart, too educated, too profound, too self-centered, too great an orator to be used by God. God's grace is sufficient. And if we boast, we boast in our weakness. Goes back to the statement that we all grew up with. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Your words can't hurt me. I'm a clay pot in the hands of an awesome God. Paul says, you know what? Say what you want. You want to pick on me personally? Don't worry. I am quite content in my weakness. Tell my kids, stay on your knees or be driven to your knees. Paul says, in my weakness, I find my strength in my God. And I watch people after person, after person, after person, after person who find their strength in themselves. You know what? There's a part of me finds it very rewarding, very comforting to know that Scripture was not written by the elite of Egypt or the elite of the Greeks, or the elite of the Romans, or the elite of Israel. There was the greatest library possibly known to man was in Alexandria, Egypt. And God didn't use it to write his holy book. He didn't use the thinkers of Athens or the philosophers of the Greek culture. God didn't use any experts to write scripture. The New Testament was a bunch of guys from the shore of Galilee and he found some fishermen and a tax collector. And it was God's delight 
to use these earthen vessels, these earthen jars. And he took a man, Paul of Tarsus, and put a priceless treasure in him. It's the same thing with you and me today. God's still doing it. I remember a story by Dr. MacArthur one time. Their church had just blowed up a number of people. I mean, and it was in a very short period of time. And then, I mean, they just moved. I think when he took the pulpit, there was about 200. And the only reason that they hired him was because they had just buried two old pastors, and he was like 29. And they said, we just want one that will last a while. And that was the reason that they wanted him in his church, and about 200 people. And the thing blossomed to a little over 20, I think about 25,000 now. And his son, Mark, was talking to his dad after one of the services, and he said, Dad, do you see all these people and the orchestra and all the rest of it? And he said, yeah. He says, you know what I don't get, Dad? You got a radio show and you're writing and all this other stuff. He says, I've been with you at home and you really ain't that important. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and I mean, when your kid says, you know, I don't understand why all these people are flocking to come and hear you because I've been with you. (laughs) There's nothing special, dad. It's the treasure, people. It's not the pot. Apart from the treasure, the pot has no value. God is still passing by the elite. He's setting aside the talented, the proud, the intellectuals. He's looking for humble. I want earthen vessels. Don't care about how they look. I just want them to carry this treasure of saving truth, and I want to carry it too. And humility. When I look at this text, and you guys are all going to be impressed with this because it took me forever to figure it out. Verse 7 is a purpose clause. Why? Treasure? Us. Has a purpose. The greatness of the power is apparent that it is God because we agree it couldn't be Paul. I find that fascinating. That is totally awesome to me. Why? It isn't how great you are. Or can he turn a phrase? I remember somebody said, you need to learn to turn a phrase. Is that like turn the page? What is turn a phrase? Say it upside down? I don't know what that means. We agree it couldn't be him. Why, Paul was frail. He was ugly. God makes it clear that a power is his power. Why? It can't be the container. Look at it. This not by any man. Remember verse 6? For God who said light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Who did it? It wasn't the clever. It wasn't the talented. It was God. The gospel, the power of salvation, the great power of God overcomes even the clay pot. Weakness of that pot. 
whoever the pot is, the teacher, the preacher, the witness, still God doing the work. Because the more you look at the pot, you realize that's got to be God doing it because I wouldn't expect nothing like that out of that. Working through these fragile jars, God proves the greatness of his power. The power of the preacher is the treasure, not the pot, not the container. In fact, it's the Christian's complete weakness that allows the greatness of God's power to be demonstrated. And yet, I hear people, well, I'm working for the kingdom. Well, what are you doing? You are now all of a sudden adequate? I think that's one of the deceits of seminary. They come out saying, I'm ready. No, now you're a sitting duck. You ain't ready. Because if you were, you wouldn't have said it. One of the things that I look for in, in teachers and in leaders is, are they teachable? It ain't that I got so much wisdom, but if they think that they've arrived, they're useless to God. That's why I'll ask stupid questions. People say, well, I can't believe he asked that. Well, I didn't know. And why would I try to fake it? I remember when a guy stood up in a conference and he says, is a trichotomous dispensationalist prone to Gnosticism? And I just sat there for a second going, what did he just ask? I don't even know what he just asked. How will I know whether the answer is right when I don't even know what the question was? And so somebody next to him says, can you explain what that question is? And I was like, right on. And so ever since then, I think I'm pretty smart because I know what it means now. But it only took me like two years. Wow, what? Sounds intellectual, but you know what? A seminary student asking professors. And I thought, that'll really help. The lowlier we are, the weaker that we are, allows the greatness of God to be demonstrated in more than what we could have ever thought or imagined. Paul wants us to know how great the power is, not the container, not the pot. Paul says, I want you to know the surpassing greatness of the power. We are dirt baked hard. Woohoo. Sign me up. We have nothing to offer. There's no beauty in us. There's no power in us. How can we have pride? That's why I'm trying to get you to understand the treasure is in this earthen vessel. If I am this earthen vessel, I have room for pride where? It's non-existent. I, when I do the leadership with the men, I explain to them they have a question that I have to ask them. And I says, I want you in this next week to define for me humility. I've had some phenomenal, phenomenal answers. Okay? And then they usually will ask me, Terry, how do you define humility? The absence of pride. 
The two can't live. They don't exist together. And as soon as that old baked dirt jar thinks that it's something special, guess what? They'll write a book on how to grow the church. That's what they do. God blesses them out of their socks and they write a book on how to do it. Well, I know how to do it. He preached the word in season, out of season. I would like to see an in-season time. I've got a few years behind this pulpit, and I'm still waiting for an in-season time. What we do is the treasure is in us. That is what brings value. It's, it's, do I read the Scriptures? Come and ask you this. Do you read the Scriptures? How often? Because until you have immersed yourself into what the true treasure is, all of a sudden you think you're special. And the reason you stay out of the book is because you are important. You don't understand the calls on my time. Oh, really? Tell him that when you see him. Well, Lord, I was just busy. All right, duck. The power is in God. The power is in the truth. And the Apostle Paul wants us to understand, how can I compel anybody? Look at me. The power has to be of God. How can I compel the bride of Christ to do anything? I remember one time a guy saying, well, you need to learn how to bind the demonic forces. And I looked at him and said, are you out of your mind? He says, no, you can do it in the name of Jesus. I says, my kids don't listen to me. Why would a demon listen to me? Really? That is the silliest thing I've ever heard. I don't want to run into no demons. I don't want no part of that. Well, you have, I don't have nothing. I'm an old clay pot. Plus, the Apostle Paul had a demon, a messenger from Satan, who afflicted his flesh on a daily basis so that he would stay humble. I figure it's just as easy. Stay humble. You don't need no demonic assistance. It's not the container. It is God. Men today are so clever, God can make no use of them whatsoever. God's work never depends on the container. It didn't then, and it doesn't now, and it will not in the future. The power of the gospel is the straightforward, here's what it says, period. There's nothing clever about it because it is from God. We are just weak, fragile, breakable, dishonorable, disposable vessels that are at best good for garbage. That's on our good day. And amazing that all that weakness has no harm to the gospel cause. How many times have you shared truth and you walked away and said, well, I should have said, oh, I could have said, or I'm... 
And the people that I hear sharing the gospel and never uses the Bible walk away because all of a sudden the cleverness of the clay pot can get that person saved. I give them what the Bible says. If they don't like it, fine. Had people tell me, well, the Bible was written by a bunch of men. And I just look at him and says, that tells me you haven't read it. Well, I've read parts of it, not long. It's an advantage that gets us out of the way. Once you step into that realm, it's no longer you no more. You, you realize this? Can Think about this for a second. You can't mess this up. That's totally awesome. I, I take great delight in that. Why? Because it ain't the container. That's why I challenge people to read the book. Why? Because now you're given the treasure. And the powers of the awesome God who only created time and a few other odds and ends. Let him deal with it. Just give him truth. Get us out of the way. Let the power of God through the truth of God do its work. That's an encouraging reality if you think about it. Our weakness isn't a problem to the gospel. It's actually an access. You ever thought about that? I like that. I must decrease. He must increase. Do I rejoice? In my weakness? Actually, our weakness becomes important. And I should rejoice in my weakness. Why? What else is a servant or a slave going to really do? Paul was mocked for his human shortcomings. Absolutely. Absolutely. He knew nothing to commend himself. He understood that he was in the weakness of baked dirt. And you know what? If you think about that, that is the most precious, best picture of divine treasure. Listen, I hate to break the news to you. That's ministry. It ain't about you and or your ministry. It is about here I am. I'm available. I have nothing to offer. Use me up. That's ministry. Absolute ministry. The Apostle Paul, verse 7 says... We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. You go look at the church in America today and you tell me what you see. Is it the power of men or the power of God? I I just had a discussion just this week with a man 
He told me how great his worship service was, was for young people. And I said, really? He said, yep, totally awesome. He says, my worship team played for two hours. You know, I seen Led Zeppelin two nights in a row. I wouldn't call it worshiping. Well, it was, but it's the other God. Okay, and I guarantee you his worship team are not as talented as Led Zeppelin was in their heyday. Guarantee it. But you know what? When you hear those terms, ask yourself a simple question. What is the focus? The power of eternal God? Or musicians? I like music. I love music. People think I get on... He doesn't like music. Yeah, I love music. No, it doesn't prime your pump. Doesn't do any of them things. I've heard all of them, the sayings. I just like music. Okay? But I like the spiritual music that points to the person of God rather than men. I'd rather hear me and Hank Smith sing Amazing Grace than some of the professionals sing whatever it is they sing these days. All right? Why? We're clay pots with a precious treasure inside. And once you can get your hands around that, then you're set to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one second before will God use a vessel that think they are of value. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul. And I thank you for the amazing things that he is even still doing. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see, and that, Father, we would understand that we are but garbage pails. Father, uh, there is no value in these containers. And yet in your glory and in your mercy and in your grace, you saved us. Not only that, Lord, you are using us for the furtherance of your kingdom to take this precious treasure to a lost and dying world. Father, may we understand the responsibility and the privilege. And Father, yet may we also understand we're still but just clay pots, earthen vessels, Father, give us hearts of humility. Father, do not let pride creep into our lives. Let us bow before you, King of kings and Lord of lords, as just your slaves. And may we be found faithful. May we walk worthy. And may we watch you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine in the power of you who hold existence together. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen.